On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are getting down with the crown with the new series of Victoria, bathing in Benjamins for the latest season of Billions, and starting to vogue enthusiastically for Ryan Murphy's pose, which finally lands on these shores. All that, and we still had the energy to do the five movements necessary to travel to another dimension for the utterly gonzo and entirely brilliant second season of Netflix's The OA. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, where this week we have projected our consciousnesses across space and time into a parallel reality in which our very own Terry White has seen her worst fears realised as she's been transmogrified from the gobby northerner we all know and love into a middle-aged white man. (laughs) It's the dream. It's the dream. That's right. Terry is sadly unable to join us this week, being as she is on the other side of the Atlantic. But do not panic. Because subbing for Terry, as the person who gets expansplained to on this week's podcast, is a very worthy replacement. He's a writer, a broadcaster, and a long-serving veteran of both the British entertainment press and the 80s clubbing scene. He's a man who not only worked at Melody Maker and The Enemy back in their heyday, and has doubtless got a black book of celebrity friends to rival Boyd's, but is also intimately familiar with 60s sleuth Simon Templer, having literally written the book on... Roger Moore's The Saint, specifically The Saint from Big Screen to Small Screen and Back Again, available now from all good booksellers. He is, of course, Mr. Paul Simper. How are you, sir? I'm very well. And it's the most laborious title ever, that. (laughs) Did did you not get a say on that one? Oh, it it was meant to be just on the 60s series. Then they were like, oh, hold on, there's a Val Kilmer movie coming out. So can we somehow manage to crowbar the movie in? (laughs) So let's go back to the beginning and then let's go to the end. But it's nearly all Roger Moore, basically. And are, are you feeling up to being Terry this week? Um, is anyone ever up to being Terry? I, I, I did email her and asked if there was any sort of proxy swearing that she wanted me to do. And she said just to take the piss out of you, which I think is very I unfair. I mean, that seems roughly what she does. So that's good. Now, now we've got you here. Now, you may be aware. Yeah. Have you listened to the podcast? I've listened to every single oh, one. good man. So you'll be aware, of course, that Boyd's... Little Book of Celebrity Friends is something of an ongoing fascination on this particular podcast, but I'm going to put you on the spot right here and now because you likewise Mm. have a selection of celebrity friends. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you were to pull out your phone, who is the most famous person you could right here and now call? I won't ask you to do it, but who could you call? Oh, Sade. Oh, he's done it. He's pulled Sade out of the bag. (laughs) So I have to say, I, I might actually say that with all of my celebrity friends, I'm jealous of Sade. Yeah, she's a fucking legend, Sade. Yeah. Ooh, I mean, you know, my celebrity friends are just like TV actors. And she once stuff. came and stayed at my mum and dad's. Oh, and dad's here we go. See, Boyd, <laughs> he's Boyd, the, totally... shine, the shine is coming off <laughs> you very is, rapidly. He has removed the shine. Unbelievable. <laughs> Which, considering you're sitting in front of two bald middle-aged white men, he's yeah. a fully, f- magnificently quaffed middle-aged white <laughs> That's man. That's true. It's the only thing separating Paul from us two, yeah. is his full head of You do have an annoying head of hair. But yeah. I can't grow anything. There's no no beard or anything. No. Here. No, That's true. That's, we, that's, we're out yeah, we're fully, Yeah. yeah. We are yeah, outstanding yeah, yeah. you. Yes. Mm. Sade. Sade. Totally done me. So, boys, yeah. who's yours? Like, in your phone right now, who's um, the most famous person you have? Oh, God, I don't know. Maybe Jack Whitehall, maybe? Or he's pretty... Mm. Oh, no, James Corden. James Corden. Oh, James. Yeah, because he's quite big now. Of course. In America. Of course, Corden. Yeah, but Sade. I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Literally, mine is Empire's Chris Hewitt. It's not. It's not great. Is it? <laughs> that really doesn't it's count. It's not James. great, is it? Yeah. 
And you. That's basically okay. you and Empire's right. Chris Hewitt. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the extent of what I've got. All right. Well, you've, you've already heard him, but joining Paul and myself in what is swiftly becoming a crucible of star fucking uh, is the master of all such things, confidant of the rich and famous, conciliary of the entertainment elite, but a man who has written precisely nothing about the saint. It's Boyd Hilton. Hello, Boyd. That is true. God, yeah. Welcome to our middle-aged, middle-class white boy special, yeah. as I'm calling yeah, it. Yeah, it is. Um, honestly, it's not for lack of trying. You know when, when like the BBC has panel games where everyone's a man, basically, and probably middle-class as well? <laughs> this is our equivalent of that, but we do say we have tried to get a working-class woman to take the place of Terry. Where, where was I on the list then before you... No, 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 that's, that's <laughs> insulting, isn't it? Oh, my God, I'm sorry. I, Oh God! I must apologise. But purely on the grounds <laughs> no, of I, I completely diversity, we are definitely Absolutely. breaking every diversity rule in the book. We yes, are. Yeah. But Paul is 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 a joy. So, he, and we're also the three least. I don't know, male males, probably. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't think, I do know I don't think yes. any of us are toxically masculine. No. That's my feeling. No. I, I, no, I, if we, we are, then yeah. only we, in the nerdy sense. But, but you like football, Boyd. So yeah, but in a very, you know... In a very middle-class middle way. Middle class way yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still club-level Arsenal. It's not, it's not like I'm roughing it with the lads. Now, I, di- I dissed you about the same thing. However, however, in preparation for this, I did, knowing nothing about the answer to this, I went onto Amazon and I put in Boyd Hilton to see if, oh. if... You had written something. Oh, yeah. Now, now, would you like to know? We what know came you're going to get confused with the historian at Cambridge. Do you know what came up? Came up. First of all, there was corn cash <laughs> commerce, economic policies of the Tory governments, 1815 to 1830, which I'm just going to assume is one of yours. That's the historian uh, at Cambridge. Yes. And secondly, was inside Little Britain. That was me. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, is this, I have a copy. Is this your claim to literary fame? Yeah, that was actually me. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you want to know something? Go on. Never seen it. Not one of course episode. you haven't. I mean, I'd be disappointed if you had. <laughs> Have you ever heard of Malukas and David Williams? Yes, they're quite famous. Yes, yeah. yes, I've I've heard of them. That both. should be the next make make you laugh. Oh, it's no. an episode. No, of no that. it's a sketch show. I can't do that. That's oh, my kryptonite. I can't do that. No, I can't, no I can't sketch do shows it. ever. No, I can't do them. Like like comedies generally. I I like. About three weeks ago, comedy was your kryptonite. Yeah, We're kind of slowly no, getting over that. Sketches. Yeah. Me and me and me and Chris, you argue about this all the time. Like I just don't. I don't understand why sketch shows are a thing. Like, what, but wait a minute, didn't you supervise a Monty Python retrospective in the first issue of the highly esteemed pilot TV magazine? Yeah, but, yes. but ironically. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus wept. No, it's just, it's just, you know how I am with long form entertainment. Like, it's standalone episodes of things that don't have an ongoing story automatically annoy me. But if you break that down to a show consisting entirely of really short vignettes which don't go anywhere, it's just like, it's an I'm existential just, nightmare. I'm just for writing me. down, you know how I am with long form entertainment, and we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Right, well, enough of that. Uh, Should we dive straight into what we've been watching this week? Paul, you are our honoured guest, so why don't you go first? Cheat is the one that I've watched this week over all four nights. Oh, yeah, which we slightly... um, We missed uh, it, didn't we? ...prejudicially... um, Oh, Because, well... In the picking of stuff, you know, last week we went for like two Netflix shows and something. I can't even remember what the other one was. It was a load of stuff we hated, which, yeah. which, which we which we ended up not really liking, and we probably should have done cheat, which is <laughs> yeah. seemingly because it's a main, seemingly a mainstream ITV thriller. Absolutely, we, we probably, you know, with all due lack of respect, we probably should have paid more attention to it. But is it is it good? It was very watchable, uh-huh. but I had many questions. Uh, I mean, the basic premise is Molly Windsor is Rose, this people at a college that looks very like Cambridge, but apparently we're not allowed to say it's Cambridge, even though it was actually filmed, I think, quite a lot at wow. Cambridge. Right. But okay. uh, there must be reasons, I think, possibly because... Uh, because bad things happen. Because bad things happen yeah. there, particularly with the porters. There's a very dodgy porter. But anyway... <laughs> Rose is a pupil. Uh, Catherine Kelly is Leah, who's her university professor. And at the start of it, the cheat, the initial cheat, 
is that um, she believes that Rose has cheated on her um, her paper. Right. As we go into it, 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 basically Rose becomes more and more messes with Leah's mind. Uh, she, she's you know, greatly affronted that she's been accused of being cheating. So her way to get back is to then destroy Leah's marriage to mm. um, husband Adam, Tom Goodman Hill. Sounds perfectly reasonable. So yeah. it's like one of those kind of like from hell. This is like the the the, the, not the babysitter from hell. The it is it is the, a bit the, the neighbor from hell. Yeah, it's still this is the student from hell. That's the thing I find a bit odd about it. That I mean, you've got two great actors mm. in 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 Catherine Kelly and and Molly Windsor, and Molly Windsor's particularly great. You can't read her. There's there's which I think is yeah. a lot of the joy of the show comes from her performance. Kate Kelly's is. Leah's kind Did of. Did you call her Kate Kelly? Yeah. Okay, sorry, Kate. Th- this oh. is good for a start. This Catherine Kelly to the rest of us. <laughs> to, in, to, to friend of the stars, Simps, it's Kate Kelly. That is brilliant. I, I did once um, marry her uh, for, for a photo shoot. Oh, there you go. Of course you did. There you go. You see, we're all, we, could be, we could be stepping up to a different level of star. This is star a friendship. whole other yeah. thing, isn't Kate, it? So Kate Kelly plays the professor. That was in her Coronation Street. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Should I carry on watching it? I've got three episodes to go. Is it worth it? Well, it's, you want to find out what, what happens, particularly with Rose's character. But I have to say that I got I got to the last episode and made a list of questions as to is is it is it going to be this result is it going to be that result and I guessed all of them oh. and that doesn't ever happen with me I never managed to guess them so I mean it, it, I don't it, think it's it, a wholehearted it, recommendation no well, it doesn't sound like James it. No. James is never going to watch this no in a I'm never years. watching it has been popular it has, it has been, been well done uh, yeah. I think it's what was the ITV dramas. Second most popular Monday night drama That's this year after Manhunt. Damning with faint praise. <laughs> <laughs> I know, very random it says Monday night, but uh, I suppose... You know, ITV dramas, well. second most popular thing that went out Monday to Thursday <laughs> well, consecutively. I think getting over five million, which, oh, you know, which is not, not to be If you want to watch but... ITV's second most popular Monday night debut of what's happened so far this year, then Sheet is available yeah. for you. Uh, I, I've watched some things. Uh, I've, I've obviously watched Sons of Anarchy, but we're not going to talk about that. Uh, I, I caught up and watched... I say caught up. I've watched some more Fleabag and Derry Girls which uh, they oh, handily yeah, made yeah. available yes. to me which yes, was nice yeah. enjoyed that enormously but won't spoil it for anyone but what I do want to talk about is Star Trek Discovery unsurprisingly oh, yeah. to you that is that is the least surprising news yeah, no, but only the only because... surprising thing is you haven't mentioned it for about three weeks this is what I'm saying but this this was an interesting one so last week's one was a throwback to an original Star Trek original series oh, episode that is exciting. and it starts off with not previously on Star Trek Discovery previously on Star Trek Flashback to the 60s, 60s typeface, 60s Star Trek. Oh, that's and it's brilliant. from the original series. Oh, my God, uh, I need to watch this. And it, it goes back. You see the original uh, Pike from the wow. original series on uh, Talos 4, where they encounter the Delusions. Do you remember this? <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. So in this one, in this new episode of Star Trek Discovery, the new Pike, which is now Anson Mount, yeah. ends up going to Talos 4. And uh, oh, and that's and brilliant. that's and that's where no spoilers, but the Spock is around, and there are Telosians. <laughs> and you remember, do you remember the 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 um the the human who lived with the Telosians, the yeah, blonde, yeah, yeah. Yes. blonde yes. Telos. That's she's turned into Melissa George, but she's back as well. What a great thing! I'm yeah. really excited. I, I, that really that's funny because they were hinting at that. Do you mean, I think I watched up to episode four, maybe in one of the episodes that I watched, they, they had a scene where someone walks in and there's the set for, pretty much from the original story. Mm. I'm thinking, oh, they're kind of hinting at, at getting involved in that. And that that's, I, I'm genuinely excited. Can so I- for fans of the original series, mm. of which, I'll be honest, I'm not one. Uh, I'm, all, I'm all about the next gen. Uh, Ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. I, I mean, can you not love the original? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's got some kitsch charm, but I mean, fucking, it's no Star Trek in this generation. Oh. And, and Star Trek in the generation is no Deep Space Nine. So, you know. It's got the best costumes. 
It's I mean, just the best. He invented the, the whole thing. Has, it's exactly. not, and he prefers Deep Space Nine. Yes, but this is the thing. It, it, the art form has been elevated since. They may have been the first, but they are not the best. It peaked oh, with DS9. I, I mean, feel it did. That, I, that should be self, self-evident, self Boyd. Self-evident. It really should. Which did you see first, then? Uh, well, well, I would have watched the original series first, yeah. uh, but I didn't get into Star Trek properly until Next Generation. Like That was uh, my... Okay. I got really into it. And then Deep Space Nine, when that was firing on all cylinders that I was like this Star Trek will never be better than this and it has never been better I feel I should be doing ter- Terry and checking my phone at this point yeah, yeah. yeah. You, or you should just be slagging him off for being a massive Star, Star Trek nerd do you watch Star Trek? Um, I the original yeah. series yeah. since then. I I didn't like mm. the, the 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 way it looked. It just seemed, seemed odd to me. I wanted it to always look like the original yeah. series. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I know that's you know. fair enough yeah yeah, but the new Discovery is good I have to say Discovery, oh, is, good. Discovery is good everyone should be watching that Boyd what have you been watching? Well um, on Friday, which is the day we're recording this, but this will be going out on Monday. Yes. But on Friday, Netflix dropped a new documentary series, The Disappearance of Madeline McCann. It's almost like Terry never left. Right. Now, if Terry was here, I nearly said to Paul this morning, but I was too busy. He was having trouble getting his Netflix. <laughs> oh, I nearly well. said, can you watch some of this thing? Because I knew Terry would have watched it all by now, pretty oh, yeah. much. Oh, yeah. Because uh, I've already watched the episodes um, out of eight. And so right first thing this morning, as we're recording on Friday, without... So this has been a controversial project. Right? I'm not surprised. It doesn't yeah. sound like a great idea to me, and I know nothing about it. Well, in the sense that, first of all, I don't think Netflix ever confirmed this was happening. This this series, right? But it had. It's a so there was kind of rumored that Netflix was making commissioning a proper, fully comprehensive and expensive documentary about the Madeleine McCann case, and now it, ha- it has arrived in all its eight hour um in its eight hour form. And they didn't really they didn't do the normally we get to hear about Netflix stuff even like even when they drop something fairly surprising. I haven't received one press release about this show, and there was just there was a thing in the Guardian about how it's probably going to be out this week. Anyway, it did arrive, and I and the McCanns have not not involved at all. Right. So that's the first thing to make clear. And they were asked to be, I think, and then they were, I think Netflix, according to an article I read in The Guardian, Netflix approached them and said, do you want to watch it and check, you know, that you're happy with it? And they, and they declined. So they really have. And I think they've pretty much encouraged their friends and associates. So they've still got a publicist who kind of answers press questions every now and then if anyone wants to. So who are the interviews then? So the interviews are with other people who were there at the time in this Portuguese um, holiday kind of complex where she disappeared, who kind of, but not their close friends. Um, do you remember that Robert Murat, who was yeah, a yeah, person yeah, yeah. of interest, he was equivalent, mm. or he was a suspect, basically, and was taken in by the police. He's interviewed, and he's really interesting, to be fair. So almost it could have been, I've watched the first episode, and the second episode is all about him, really. Right. And that is a really interesting situation because, you know, he was then, he was let go, and he clearly doesn't mm. seem to be guilty at all. He seems to be completely innocent, but was definitely a person of interest. And there's a lot of journalists interviewed. There's two people who wrote a book about it. They kind of form the basis of a lot of it. Kelvin McKenzie is interviewed, who was editor of The Sun, a controversial figure in so many ways because of his coverage of Hillsborough, etc. And I have to say I was disconcerted by the fact that Kelvin McKenzie is sitting there holding forth about this thing in a rather... In a classic McKenzie way, in an irritating way. I was going to say, what are they asking? Are they asking him about the press so the, coverage? Or, yeah, they're talking and- about the press coverage. So it's basically, it's it, it's trying to be. So rather than being, say, making a murder, which is, yeah. you know, we're still the show that started all of these true crime documentary series on Netflix and Amazon Prime, et cetera, and everywhere is doing them now. BBC's doing a lot of them as well. N- making a murder was a very, very laser focused account of a case 
where they're talking to the people, the accused, and you know they're involved, and there's no reenactments or anything. There's no presenter. This was a mishmash. This has got reenactments that are quite cheesy. Mm, I have felt. I don't like the reenactments. Yeah, I don't like the reenactments. So there's scenes where this investigator is going into his into his poli- police station. They reenact that, and it, and it looks like something out of Narcos or something. It was not <laughs> honestly. It was weird. And then suddenly, some presenter figure arrives in the middle of the street, talking to camera. In the middle of episode, like literally halfway through episode one, and then doesn't come back at all. I've got up to episode three. It's it's a real mishmash, and there's like lavish helicopter and drone shots. Anyway, bottom line is, I am going to carry on watching it because it's fascinating. The case is fascinating, still fascinating. It reminds you a lot of the kind of weirdness surrounding it, but it does make me feel queasy. The whole experience of watching it has made me feel Do queasy. Do they set up why they are doing it now? Is that sort of at the top of the Not really. Thing, it's or? No, it's just, you know, it, a certain amount of time has passed, and I think they just feel right. It's time for a comprehensive look at this whole case. And maybe fair enough, you know, you, know, mm. you, you can moralise about the whole true crime genre, which has exploded massively. But it is weird to watch to watch a whole series in this made in this way about that particular place. So I have to say, I'll be interested to see what people think. I'll be interested to see what Terry thinks when she watches it. Because you're not going to watch it, James. Absolutely obviously. not. No. Anyway, <laughs> The Disappearance of Madame McCann is on Netflix now, and I guarantee by the time this goes out on Monday, uh, it will have been a lot of people have watched it because people are absolutely obsessed with that case. And I do think anyone, mm. for me, it's always, the, the people who, by the way, the people who kind of so still suspect her parents of having some involvement, they those people need to really sort themselves out because I've always found that to be absolutely ridiculous. And there's a lot of, conspiracy theorists out there who talk about you know who kind of accuse them of being involved and that is sickening and this so far this program does not do that thank god that's so far anyway well there you go the disappearance of madeline mccann on netflix all of which brings us to oh god make james laugh the incredibly narcissistically titled segment that i still think should have been called comedy gold or someone actually even suggested funny or dire. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> good. Was pretty yeah, funny. That's not narcissistic in any way. No, I know. No. That's, that's just as bad. So <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, this is the one where I, Enemy of Fun, watch an episode of, shall we say, humour-based television and attempt <laughs> to find it amusing. Is this segment getting old yet? Are people bored of hearing me be humourless? Quite possibly. But honestly, until you start complaining, I'm pressing on with it. So this week's suggestion I picked randomly based on simply quite fancying watching the show. What I didn't realise it was also a suggestion from Ben Murray Holmes who suggested last week's Fraser episode. Oh. So, sorry to everyone else and Ben, mate, you're now officially blacklisted. <laughs> He's giving you weekly episodes yeah, to watch. This that's is brilliant. It. Ben, you're done. because we got. He's like your comedy chance. dealer. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely. really wants you to laugh though, doesn't he? So he does. Like, he's yeah, he does. He's I, very I'd keen. Like his yeah. Well, what, what Ben suggested this time is Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, specifically season one, episode six, Halloween. Do either of you watch The Nine-Nine? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm not up to date, but I must have watched that. Yes, I did watch that. Yeah. Yes. There was, a big old, seen it. there was a big old hoo-ha about this, wasn't it? Because it got cancelled and then yeah. it got rescued. Yeah. But there was a, it was an, a public wringing of hands and an outcry because people love this show. They do love the show, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had watched the pilot way, way back in the day. I very dimly recall, but I remember nothing about it. So I watched this episode... Have you, do you have you seen this episode, Boyd? You must I have must it. have done, but it might be. You didn't you didn't send us the link to watch it, James? And it's mm. not. Let's. It's not. That's by true. the way, that easy to come by. Cause it's, I checked. It's not on all four. Obviously, E four shows it. Where DVDs, did you find it? There are DVDs available. I'm not going to go and buy a DVD just to watch a, a, a 22 minute episode, which you're you're, you're just not. But I probably watched. I must have watched it already. Tell us what happened. All right. So this is an episode in which a bet between Andy Samberg's detective Jake Peralta yeah. and Andre Brower's Captain Holt kind of escalates and leads to an elaborate and kind of drawn out heist, uh, sort of yeah, heist attempt to steal a medal 
from the captain's safe, all while kind of Halloween hijinks yes, yes. go on around them. I, I, I do you know what? I, I, I appreciated this show. It's very well written. No, seriously. I, it, I thought, you know what? This is a really Lol. high quality show. Yeah. It's really well this. written. It's there. really charming. It's really fun. I think Andy Sandberg uh, and Terry Crews are great, but Andre Brower is the absolute yeah, standout here. Yeah, he is a deadpan master. Yeah. An absolute master. I absolutely love him. Um, and, and he was great. Like, And I enjoyed that, that prime, that, the A plot, which was the trying to steal the medal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's goofy. It's Really just ridiculous. Yeah. The B and C plots, I could take or leave. I enjoyed the one with Terry Crews a bit because it's Terry Crews, yeah. but I, they, they weren't great. But the, the A plot was definitely fun. I think all in all, um, yeah, it's a really well-made comedy. I totally see why people like it. <laughs> Did I laugh? No. no. <laughs> what was the closest you got to a laugh? There is a part where... Uh, Andy Samba gets up on a desk and does a St. Crispin's Day kind of speech to sort of motivate the team to help him steal this med- medal. And as it was getting more and more extreme, I, I, I definitely felt a smile on my face at that Forming. point. Yeah. But not yeah. didn't fully evolve no, into like, a... There might have been like the form, like the rumblings yeah, of a chuckle yeah, sort of like right, right, right. fermenting. I think, never I think I know came. why. What's the name of the gentleman who, who keeps telling you to watch every week? His, ben, his name is Ben Murray-Holmes. Now, I think Ben, uh, my guess is that he's gone this time for something because the thing about Brooklyn Nine-Nine is it's almost like an airplane slash mm. naked gun vibe, isn't yeah, it? It's got it that, that really... It's, it's really very silly. silly very and I think it's the silly... Police squad, right. Yeah. It's I think it's the silliest mm. of the big mainstream American shows, more so, you know, than than Big Bang Theory and all those, of yeah. the current big... And so he probably thought, oh, you know, I'll go all out silly. Yeah. James has got to laugh because everyone laughs at Brooklyn Nine-Nine because it's so silly and, yeah. and it, it will do slapstick, it will do really goofy stuff, but still you didn't. So I think it was quite a clever move on his part. I don't. He chose poorly. Do you know why? I do not do silly. What about airplane? I do not. I don't find airplane even you remotely don't find funny. Airpl- oh, my no. God. No. This that- has put you on a new level <laughs> because... I mean, I've n- genuinely never met anyone who doesn't like airplane. That I, is extraordinary. No, I don't no. like any of those Zucker Abrams stuff. Just, just doesn't because oh, it's silly. I don't like it, it's. It's. But, but there's like about four gags a minute. Yeah, I none know. of them. More. All of them different. What? More. More. There's like more, There's there's puns. There's visual gags. There's slapstick. Yes. There's none of them. And I appreciate the artistry involved in crafting them. Stop they calling me Shirley. Don't make me laugh. Like the you know I speak jive bit. Oh no, that's well written. That's good. It's good. Well observed. Good. Good. Mm. Good bit of observational comedy. I, I have a question. Yeah. Was there a time? When you did used to laugh, when I had humour, when when yeah, was it? No, we were just slowly beaten out of you. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I just show working at Empire. Yeah, yeah. I was, when I was, did the laughter stop? When did the laughter stop? No, see, it's that's a great title for his autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> when did the laughter stop? By James. Oh Dyer. god, no. So I've said this before. I can't remember whether it was on this podcast or another. Like, so my sense of humour. What I like is I like uh, very highbrow humour. I like very dry humour. I like very sarcastic humour. I do not like silly humour. And I don't like, you know, like, you know, toilet humour, falling over each other, nonsense, that kind of stuff. And my theory for this is that that kind of humour, or a lot of comedy in general, but that in particular exists in this heightened plane of reality where it's a surreal universe where everything is is different to our own universe. It's not yeah. relatable. So okay. it's too heightened. And I just don't connect with it. Whereas I think great comedy comes out of drama, comes out of relatable drama. So, for example, the... the the comedies in inverted commas I enjoyed most in the 80s were things like Beverly Hills Cop, like action oh. comedies, where it's an action movie with nailed on comedy on it. Okay. And the juxtaposition between drama and comedy m- heightens the comedy and makes it funnier. Boys looking so, puzzled. 
Beverly Hills Cop. I like very. What was it you said? I like very highbrow humour. Then you've gone for Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, I'm saying that's one of the examples of humour I'm like. But I'm saying in terms of points. So, uh-huh. so the funniest TV show ever yeah. made for me is The yeah. West Wing. Right. Okay. Which is clearly not a comedy, but it's incredibly well, yeah, smart, right. and the comedy in it because it comes out of drama. Have you watched his? Is his, genius. Have you watched his out and out comedy? Um, which he did. Sports night. Sports night. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen it. Okay. Um, I don't like it as much. It's too much comedy. Yeah, I like much, it. It's really yeah. well written, and the dialogue right. is amazing. Yeah. Uh, the laugh track, which does go away, that I had issues with, but um, <laughs> don't tell me when to laugh. And uh, I'm with you on but, that. But I like, you know, I I like the like uh, so classic. Comedies, Faulty Towers, really like Faulty Towers. Oh, uh, but then that is there's quite a lot of slapstick as well. I mean, is, well. Don't expect any consistency. <laughs> this is all. <laughs> but, uh, this fascinates he's me. Just every making week. it up as it goes along. No, but Faulty Towers again. He's just such a brilliantly uh, over the top character. In and I, but I wonder whether with that is there's a familiarity to it because it's a part of my childhood. I, mm. I think I have an affection for it. Blackadder is very much my sense of humour. That's very silly, but the comedy, certainly in the latest, is very much based in sarcasm, and so I like that a lot as well. I wondered if it was comedies that were people that you like to hang out with. That that, that mm. they're kind of yeah, I'm I think like yeah, your love of girls, and you know, I can see him. I can see him very much wanting to be Blackadder in the, in the latter stages, <laughs> yeah. and, and everyone else yeah. being Baldrick. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, you're yeah. definitely my darling. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, love Blackadder and uh, yeah, and Red Dwarf because I always uh, always Red enjoyed always enjoyed the Rimmer Lister interplay, and that's yeah. a, that's pretty silly. That's a stupid oh, show, yeah, but yeah. but I do no, like that, it. Yeah, I can see you like it. So you like Bant? Oh, who? Bant. I like Bants. <laughs> do I like Bants? Uh, yes, yes. In if it's fact, like of, of of intellectuals in the White House, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. Or, or, right. or, Eddie, or Eddie Murphy. Yeah, yeah. Or Eddie Murphy. Don't Eddie Murphy's. He's he's my he's my golden goose. Eddie Murphy is. He is like if I could if you. If I could pick my dream interview, if I could pick one Go person on. in the world that I could Ooh. interview, it'd be Eddie Murphy. You've surprised wow. me there. Eddie You're Murphy. pulling out these surprises. Yeah. yeah. What about Norbert? No, but, okay, not for Norbert, obviously, which was nominated for an Oscar, oh, lest I we know. forget. I know. Uh, no, Eddie Murphy, because he doesn't do interviews, he's ungettable, and I idolised him in the 80s. And many of my other idols I've met, and oh, I've never been able to speak to Eddie Murphy. But I, he's wow. supposed to be doing a kind of a Coming to America sequel, so maybe... Maybe my time will come. Mind you, we must focus on TV. We must. We must. (laughs) That's my fault. No, no, no. I mean, to be honest, if Terry had been here, we would have ended this discussion about half an hour ago. That's true. That's yes. true. We were done. So, so we've established that once again, once again, I have not been moved to laughter by this particular segment. Which, really, if you don't want us to do, do please tell me, and I'll stop doing it. Let's get the most reaction. I think. Yeah, maybe, People maybe it's, it. a, it's a fan favorite. I it's feel a a slightly like I'm the butt of the joke on this one, but that's all good. It's yeah, comedy good. gold. Yeah. Uh, shall we move on from comedy gold to news? <laughs> yes. Now I've got a good news story for you. I'm going to test you. I have to go first because I'm testing you on this, oh, particularly God. you, James. But you can join in, Paul. So, what do these numbers have in common? What are these numbers? Are they, what the, do they, numbers, represent? Are they the numbers from Lost? No. Okay. 54, mm-hmm. 58, 82, 78, 80, and 80. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So and you're going to like the answer. They're not the numbers from Lost. No. Are um, they numbers, episodes of Deep Space Nine no. that uh, involve Quark? No. They are the running no, no. times of the last series of Game of Thrones. Oh, oh. yes. Yes, I do know. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Say them again. So, yeah. the big, so we were led to believe, right? I thought they were going to be like They were going to be feature lets. They're not. No. So the longest no. one is 82. Right. And the, la- the last two are 80 minutes each. But the first two are less than an hour. Yeah, funny enough, we argued about this in the office. Like, me and right. Chris were getting on our high horse about this because we were promised, promised six episodes but feature length. Not a single one of those is feature no. length. Not one. No. 
Well, I mean, well, 82 is a that's very not, short feature. That's a fucking short I mean, it's film. the kind of feature that's, that some, if they put it out in the cinema, people would go, that's no, so that's a really short, short film. Clearly, this is clearly shit. That's yes. a double bill. It's a double bill, yeah. Yeah, like that's it really shocker, genuinely yeah. disappointing. Mm, I know. Because I wanted all of them to be like one hour 30 plus, like maybe deal. pushing two hours for the finale. Yeah. And I feel like, frankly, I've been screwed. And yeah. they've, they've spent many, many months doing this as yeah. well. Winter is coming. Apparently it's a small flurry <laughs> rather than the blizzard that we'd been promised. Yeah. And they also, the air dates. So, I mean, they, they oh, are okay. basically they're mm. six and they, they all follow consecutively. Yes. But the whole thing, all of Game One of Thrones week. will be over on Sunday, May 19th. What's oh. the what's the total runtime, Boyd? Oh, well, I can't work out. It's steady. <laughs> when do we then get pre-Game of Thrones? Oh, I think not too early. Nah. Earliest next year. I'm That's all being year, made yeah. now. Like They yeah, keep yeah, gearing yeah. up to, to make that now. Yeah, yeah. Jane Goldman. And yes, Co. indeed. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited monstrously about excited about Game of Thrones yeah, coming back, excited. but that has genuinely taken the wind out of my sails a little bit. Yeah, mm. I knew it would. They mm. must have known that that would piss people off. Especially because they why... lied. They literally lied. They told us they were going to be fucking feature length. That is not a feature. It's true. Maybe they never actually confirmed that. Maybe they just kind of hinted at because, it. But the first ones, are like, they're, that's shorter than some of the episodes of the previous season. It's I know, just, I know. you know. That is the big particular shocker. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. All right. Well, but that's not the big, I mean, that probably is now the big news. But the other news that's been rattling around this week has obviously been the cancellation of One Day at a Time. Yes. Uh, by Netflix. So this is clearly a big thing. I have no idea what the show is. I've never seen it. I don't even know what it's about. That's because it's a sitcom. Because it's a sitcom. <laughs> but the whole internet is on fire because they've cancelled it. Yeah, I think the reason why this is a remake of a so Norman Lear is the American king of sitcoms, um, and he he did a, a lot of the classic seventies and eighties sitcoms, and he this is a remake of one of his old sitcoms. But mm. one, I think the reason people loved it, and it became um, a, a kind of fan favorite, is because it had very it was very. It had it was very diverse. It had a lot of rep- representation. It was about a Hispanic family, um, you know, all of those issues. And it and and it, and it was funny. I mean, you know, I watched, mm. I've only watched a couple of episodes to be honest, but it was definitely a big thing because it was like this is how you do a normally a vintage sitcom, but you'd modernise it for for the, our current times, and so it felt very relevant. And you know, for all of that reason, so I think there's a general feeling. Oh, you know, Netflix has got rid of this very diverse um, thing that was doing really well with representation of, you know, all kinds of sexuality and race and gender and all of that. And now they've ditched it. And, you know, and, and I so think... what have they said? What, what's well, the and, the, and the other thing is they put out a statement, which they never do. They tweeted right. about it. So they announced that they were um, axing it and they kind of apologised mm. to the fans and said it just wasn't getting enough viewers. Which ne- So obviously they, they never revealed ta- yeah. They yeah, never yeah, revealed yeah, the yeah. anything. So they are yeah. kind of having their cake and eating it at the moment. They did this recently. They, they mentioned a couple of shows. I think they I think they said that sex education was a massive hit for them, mm. which is great. Yes. But, you know, they've kind of said this didn't get enough viewers to sustain it. But as other people have pointed out, they're making billions of yeah. billions. They're spending billions of millions of pounds. Surely one That's, little sitcom. Yeah, they could have kept it. As they a could have leader. kept. You know, yeah. there are massively lavish, expensive shows out there. Um, you know, we. I mean, turn up Charlie. Like that. You mm. know, which I think is a terrible yeah. show. I love it just now, but you know, get rid of that. Don't yeah, recommission yeah. that. If they recommission that, I'll be amazed and I'll be I'll be stunned because this was a popular, good, funny show. Surely That's they could have they could have got rid of that nipple tastic robot nonsense that we reviewed last week. <laughs> oh yes, and I can't like believe <laughs> I didn't like the sound of that. No, at all. no, no, no. All right, fine. Well, that's that's a shame. So rest in peace, one day at a time. Yeah. David Tennant won't be in the final season of Jessica Jones. This was something that was confirmed this week, if anyone's interested. Yes. Is is anyone interested in Jessica Jones? Well, I liked him in it. Yeah. Yeah, he was great. So he, 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 he turned it. up uh, you know, kind of in the second season, but he's not gonna be in the third. Okay. And that's it, really. 
it's not very exciting. Because of good omens, or no? Just I mean, his character's dead, so it's like oh, a reasonable. Right. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> his character died though in the first season, and yet still appeared in the second one. So uh, yes, it's not yes, like it's a, not a barrier. But uh, but yeah, he won't be back. Which is you know one. If you weren't going to watch Jessica Jones, that's I guess one one less reason to possibly have watched it. Amy Adams, you see, she's got she's got to deal with HBO after the brilliance of Sharp Objects, yep. which was pretty much it was one of very, the best, very not the best thing on last year. Cool, I'm is that coming? I absolutely loved it. it was that won't be back. Thing. Yeah, I don't think Sharper Objects. Sharp, <laughs> it was definitely its own story, but True. she's got a deal with HBO who made Sharp Objects to create more drama series for them. And the first project is an adaptation of best-selling novel, The Poisonwood Bible, which everyone I know has read. Um, I haven't. Uh, except I haven't. you. I haven't either. It's, um, it, w- it was about the wife of an evangelical missionary who takes her and her daughters to the Belgian Congo in 1959. Oh. And a lot of things exciting. It's a really huge, um, popular novel published in 1998. And But I'm just excited that Amy Adams is doing more stuff with HBO because Shop Objects was brilliant. Yeah. Shop yeah. Objects was The Congo is becoming more popular, isn't it? The Widows in the Congo, isn't it, as well? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Which apparently hadn't been used much for. Uh, Oh, yeah, I read about that. They didn't uh, film actually in the Congo. I think I read about that in your interview with the makers of The Widow in Pilot TV. Absolutely. Yes. Which we'll be reviewing soon, I'm very very sure. I'm sure we will. Uh, There's a new series being set in the Orphan Black universe. Yes. In development at AMC. I'm confused by this. Because apparently it is neither a reboot nor a sequel to Orphan Black. It just takes place in the same world, which is, you know... This one. So it's basically a show on AMC that takes place on Earth. Wasn't there all back a bit in the future, though? Was it? I don't know. I mean, it had futuristic it elements because it was cloning it was and clones, whatnot. Yeah. But I don't think I it was think set it was in the future. Bit, oh. I thought it was set in almost a dystopian future. Maybe I'm wrong. So which characters are, are they connecting None. then? None. None. No, new, as you <laughs> oh, said, it just takes place in the same world. You go in the, in the same oh, okay. world, yeah. I mean, to be fair, I watched the first season and a half of Orphan Black. I mean, I did drop out. I haven't seen it all. No, I But it was very good. Tatiana Maslany was epic in that. Yeah. Ethan Hawke, you see, he's starring in a I TV did, series. I did, yes. Good Lord Bird. Yeah. Yes. Quite Go the on. title. Quite the title. It's based on a novel by James McBride about 19th century slavery, slavery abolitionist mm. James Brown. And Ethan Hawke is going to play him. And John co- Brown. It's John Brown. Is it? Yeah. It I'm pretty James. Sure. I've printed out. It says James. Really? Yeah. Because I, I, my, my understanding of James Brown Not the is, 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 is I know there's is, a famous James Brown, the, 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 the godfather of soul. Yes. Oh, no, I'm not saying it's that one. So you're saying this is the godfather well, of abolitionism. I've printed it out and it says, and I haven't, I did not type that out myself. All right. I, I'm it's pretty sure it's John Brown, but okay. sure, go on. James maybe Brown, right. the godfather of 19th century abolitionists. <laughs> John Brown. It must be John Brown. It'd be great if it was James Brown. Um, anyway, uh, Ethan Hawke is executive producing it, yeah. co-writing it, and starring in it. Yeah. So this cool. is this is a this is actually around events from uh, uh, 1859. It was a raid on the army depot, which kind of kick-started the civil war, as I recall. So it's uh, as I recall, uh, as I recall, uh, when I say great... that, as I recall from reading the news article about this show, not yes. from oh, being okay. there at the time. Right. Um, so yeah, so that's it. But uh, Ethan Hawke in a in a limited series is always good. Yes. I am saying, but more exciting than that, and something that we touched on, on the Empire podcast is Taika Waititi is doing a Time Bandits TV series. Oh yeah. Which is insane and presumably very good news. As I mentioned on Empire, I've never actually watched Time Bandits. No. No, genuinely. Like, it's one of my blind spots. I don't, like, 
But, but you want to? No, no, it's a comedy. Uh, well, it, it, it is and it isn't, isn't it? What's Gilliam, I'd isn't it? It's, it's going to be a surreal, yeah. mental gonzo trip through I mean, time. I mean, with, with yeah. Sean Connery. Exactly, and I imagine it's got more than a little Python DNA in it. So, it's, Yeah, but not not kind of like Holy Grail levels or anything. <laughs> a few things have. No. Uh, but but that, that's the thing that's happening. So, so yes. And this is going to be on the Apple streaming service. Oh, that uh, thing. Yeah, exactly that. And Taika Waititi, of course, being uh, uh, director of Thor Ragnarok and... Uh, obviously, he's got uh, what we do in the Shadows TV series yes, coming as well. Yes, which I was going to so. say, the reviews of that, because that's out in America, I think, this mm. week, isn't it? The reviews have been really good. Yeah, I've seen. very um, And that's got Matt Berry in it, so I'm incredibly mm. excited about that, because he's the funniest man on earth, unless you're James Dyer. Do we, of course. <laughs> do, we know, uh, do we know when that law fest is coming to I don't know. I don't know when that law fest is coming to, to British TV or where it's going to be shown. Yeah. Which is annoying, because I really want to see it. Have we yeah. had, is there a UK date for Killing Eve yet, or is that still no, in the No, unbelievably not. Because that's demented. I know. It's, it's still ridiculous. torturing you. It's still torturing Cause me. Because how, how far away is that in the States? Like, that's upon us, isn't it, pretty April much? 7th, I think. Yeah, it's, my it's pretty close, time, and yeah. we still have no clue no, when we're going to see it's that. It's really irritating. Honestly, come on, BBC, sort your stuff out. Yeah. Also, Evan Evagora has joined the cast of Picard. So that's I mean that's pretty exciting. I don't, I, have you done more news stories on this podcast <laughs> yeah. about Picard or on the Empire podcast about June? It must be like fairly it's, even. It's fairly bad. We get, I would say, most of the complaints we get on our iTunes comments are about Picard. Picard. <laughs> are they? <laughs> about either right. Picard or just Star Trek okay. in general. No one's really latched onto the right. expanse of the Maybe you should but, take uh, those comments to heart. <laughs> And move on. Terry would have shut this I down think this by now. Yeah. I think this is the end of TV news. I think that's going to be the end of TV news. All right, news. fine. That's the end of TV news. We end on Picard. Uh, but before we do go... Uh, no, no, no. What? Before we do go, I would like to say a, a heartfelt uh, sorrow for the passing of Jan Michael Vincent, who sadly yeah. died last okay. week at 74. Fair Jan enough. Michael Vincent, of course, being Stringfellow Hawk from the 1980s staple Airwolf, which genuinely, like, that and Knight Rider, that was the 80s for me. They were the shows like Juice of Hazard, all that stuff, Street Hawk. Yeah, you know, I mean, don't care. But for me, it was it was Knight Rider and Airwolf, and Jan Michael Vincent was a bit of a legend. He was. Yeah. I absolutely watched him. Yeah, I yeah. yeah, he was, yeah, he was a massive fantastic. figure, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and he unfortunately died last week at the age of seventy four. Now, before we move on to reviews, mm. I have an important announcement. Paul, you might be able to help me with this, oh, actually. Yeah, okay. So, so, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw upon your powers oh, as a long-standing music journalist um, <laughs> because Q Magazine, which is our mm. publisher's world-famous music ma- magazine, uh, have launched their very own podcast. Right. Uh, and while I naturally bristle at the thought of anyone listening to any podcast, really, other than this one, it's actually really good. It's great. It's great. The general premise is they kind of take a deep dive into the history of a popular music act band person, who is this uh, which is explored each week. And this, the the first one, is with someone called a Sleaford Mod. Uh, now, Paul, <laughs> this is brilliant. Can you please shed some light onto who Sleaford Mod is? Sleaford Mod, the Sleaford Mods, the band. Sleaford Mods, they're a band. Oh Are my they? god! Oh my god! <laughs> Not from my this era. This is amazing. Wow. Did you stop listening to music in 1990? Is this a new yes, discovery? Yes, this is, this is extraordinary. Music in about 1988. So, I mean, it, honestly, Terry's going to be Professional music Sleaford journalist. Sleaford Mods are a Paul massive... Simper. Yeah, doesn't a, know who the Sleaford Mods are. That is a massive... This yeah. is they extraordinary. I, I, I was a music journalist in the 80s. <laughs> Were they... Were they in the 80s? No, but... they're still going now. They're current. Oh, are they? Well, yes. exactly. I didn't know that. Of course, that's why Q's featuring them, because I think in the, in the esteemed <laughs> podcast they're talking about. I, I thought you were going to go way back in time for this, if, if they're no. diving... Di- go, well, tell us about the sleeve. No. I, I, I couldn't I, tell I, you. I was hoping you could fill me they're in. Good. They're good. No. They're, 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 the, they're, the, um, they're the good... Fa- what's the phrase? The acceptable face of white boy rock in this oh. day and age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
That's my. Fa- that's why I'm saying. It doesn't now. seem like, sound like a massive uh, thumbs up. No, they're good. They're really good. Oh, okay. They're very unique. They're funny. They're cocky. They're you know they're good. Not to be a twat boy, but you can't be very unique. It's kind of a, you either are or you. Well, aren't. I'm only you know I'm just <laughs> filling in for your lack of knowledge. So you got to give me it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, sorry. I if you do know who there. the Sleaford mods are, uh, you just Sleaford mods, this. not the. Oh. They're not the. No. There's no definite article. There's no definite article. It's just Sleaford no. mods. No. So they're mods, but they're a bit Sleaford. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I've got you. Yeah. I've got you. I, I, I mean, as you may may have discerned i know absolutely fuck all about music but even i can tell this is kind of a top-notch podcast it's very well produced uh and if you want to head over to wherever you do pick up your podcast and add it to the playlist you should unless unless you only have time for one podcast in which case please don't playlist it and stick with this one let's go whole- <laughs> there you go there is my wholehearted endorsement now on to right. this week's reviews first and most excitingly this week sees the return of the o a. This is Britt Marling and Zalbat Mangley's mind-bending sci-fi mystery, and this is one of Boyd's favourite shows of all time, and something I myself definitely considered a must-see event when this dropped in Christmas 2017, I want to say? 16, I think. 2016? Maybe I'm wrong. No, no. I think it's 2017. 16, yeah. 16 yeah. Christmas 2016? Yes. Wow, that was ages ago. Yeah, it's two and a half years. Well, the show is back, and this picks up exactly where season one left off, with Prairie, a.k.a. the OA, transcending dimensional boundaries and kind of ending up in a new reality entirely. And many of the characters return and are joined this time around by Kingsley Benadir, who plays Kareem, a private investigator on the hunt for a missing girl. It is absolutely bonkers, completely brilliant, and I absolutely couldn't tear my eyes away from it. If you haven't seen the first season of the OA, do so. But if you didn't watch it because you were put off by the sci-fi premise, it is worth pointing out that whatever you think this show is, you are not even close. Is that fair, Boyd? Yes, um, I, I would urge, as you say, I would urge people to uh, to watch. So interesting, we'll get we'll get Paul's yeah. verdict in a minute because Paul hasn't had time to catch up. Have you on the first season? No, I had to do the the quick recap. So you, yeah, you jumped yeah. straight into so the OA season in. two. There is a recap at the beginning there, of the first episode. Yeah, and there, and there was there was a couple of ones I, I had a quick right. look on YouTube. As but well, I'm saying so. now, Go I'm on. saying now. So this comes out on Monday. It arrives on Netflix on Friday. Yeah. You, please, people, if you haven't yet watched it, you got a week. You've got a week. Yeah, and it's so worth it because. For me, the brilliance of this show is you fall in love with it in in its um in its texture, in the way it's filmed, in the characters. Mm. It's got you know what you know the thing people say about characters, which I never agree with actually. People say if you don't like the characters, how can you like the thing? I like every every character mm. in the show, even the closest it comes yeah. to a villain, which is the character of Hap, yeah. played by Jason Isaacs. Hello to Jason Isaacs. He himself. Now I was lucky enough to go on set for this which was one of the greatest days of my life, second only to when I was on set of Alan Partridge. <laughs> and it was so brilliant because, uh, you know, just seeing the way they work, they have an incredibly creative, collegiate way of working, Zal and um, Britt, who are the showrunners, and she's in it, and he directs most of it, not all of it, and they co-write it and co-create it. It's an com- incredible um, collaboration. And he said himself, I, you know, I don't think I am a villain, even though he plays in the first series, he did really bad things. Oh, yeah. His doctor. So, he, and I'm not going to spoil it, but he did really, really bad things that then Britt Marley's character had to try and sort out. So, even he, I like, and he's very, mm. very incredibly entertaining character, but yeah. the rest of them, so 
she meets in season one this group of kids from this local high school, and she kind of saves them. They're like, there's a salvation of them, which is spiritual. Yeah. And I'm not a religious person at all. I'm a massive atheist. And then there's a, their teacher, who's known as BBA, who's a brilliantly lovable figure, kind of outsider mm. figure. They all end up being outsiders in a way. One of them is a trans um, teenage character who's brilliantly performed. Um, one of them is kind of like a bully who ends up then being, you know, ends up kind of seeing the error of his ways and not in a cliched way. And they all have to do these movements. So they're the key to um this is not so this, this is the whole thing really They're the, the movements are the key to getting you into another dimension and traveling through the dimensions that's so if you can deal with that as a concept and watch it play out in front of your eyes and not go oh this is bullshit then you then you can immerse yourself in this glorious world and i think if you give yourself up to it it's like a it's almost like a religious act i'm getting carried away but i feel it's true <laughs> you have to have the faith in in this as a as an incredibly creative bold thing and it's like for me the brilliance of it is it's like a puzzle box thing, but not. So you're not trying to work out, you're trying to work out the mysteries of it out with the characters along with yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. But t- so it's got a side mystery this new season with the detective character. Mm. Brilliantly played. And he's British. He's great. He's really good. Yeah. I interviewed him. He's an Arsenal fan from Camden. Um. Um, yeah. He's a lovely guy and he's got a brilliant accent. He, he's like a classic film noir detective. Mm. One of the the first ever the creators think um a uh, person of color who's a main a film art detective they also think that this oh, is right. the only really? show they think and listeners can can fathom it out if it's true they think it's the only hour long TV series that has a female showrunner and star and I think they might be right because mm. I'm right my brains so I don't think there is one so all of these things it's pushing back the boundaries Westworld. It's, co-showrunner maybe you're right yeah Westworld oh god you've done it that's annoying that's really annoying sorry boy anyway this is better this is so much better than Westworld so this is you're you're following the mysteries of the show along with the characters so extraordinary things happen in front of your eyes and you don't know what they are but nor do the characters they're trying to work these things out at the same time the storytelling is brilliant and beautiful and it is literally probably my favourite thing that's ever been on Netflix I prefer it to Stranger Things and all those things yeah it's, I think it's, it's the highest so, quality it's so brilliantly done and beautifully made, and the storytelling is so... Inc- it's about storytelling. The characters are so likeable and mm. three-dimensional, and even its weirdness and even its moments of ludicrousness, they know they're ludicrous. You know, they, are, they you don't need to tell them they're doing weird, ludicrous things. They're aware of it. They know the movements are bizarre and almost funny, but you have to go along with it, and it's an act of faith, and it's absolutely will, will repay your faith, I think. Paul, what did you make of this? Did it blow your mind? The one thing that struck me was... It has a 37-minute pre-credit sequence. Well, has funny you should mention that. Go on. So in episode one, it's yeah. 57 minutes. or fi- it's, it, it comes in almost literally... Almost feature length. Almost. So the, I think the episode <laughs> is something like 72 minutes, and the credits arrive after about 50-something minutes, which I spoke to them about, and they yeah. were very, very proud of that moment. So for them, they, was like, they suddenly thought, yeah, so it's, she starts telling a story, yeah. and then suddenly it says Netflix presents, and the credits roll, and they were like, they wanted a spine-tingly moment, and it is a spine... Credits can be a spine-tingly yeah. moment. Carry on. Because that, you've heard a ripple of the, of the theme yeah. a couple of times, yeah. and then suddenly there they are, the full... Yeah, I, considering I'd not seen it before, I found it very easy to get into. What's the kind of big question in, in the first series whether she might have actually been making the whole yes. thing up. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Right. So, yeah, because she tells, she, so th- that moment where the credits roll arrive mm. in the very first episode comes where she sits, she gathers these students and their, and BBA, their teacher, in this attic space. Her team. Tells them, yeah, tells them the extraordinary story, her origin story, which goes to being born in Russia and having this bus crash. This is, you know, you can still carry on watching without these aren't spoilers. I don't no, think. these are not spoilers. And that's, we won't go into the and spoilers. that's her story, yeah, right? And right. then everything that happens with Jason Isaac's character 
is also her story. And again, when I interviewed him, he said, you know, he's reading the script and he suddenly thought, I might be a figment of her imagination. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think my feeling is, in ep- you know, I'm trying not to spoil it, but yeah. it's, everything is up for grabs. Everything is in doubt to some extent because it is all about well, the stories we tell each other and why. There's a whole computer game thing going mm. on. This is, and this that is a new form of storytelling. Thing, yeah. Is it? yeah. So that's a big game. I love the, I mean, so that. They're gamers, be, aren't they? Yeah. So there's a big gamer thing mm. going on, which they t- I remember when they told me about it, I was like, oh, well, that could go horribly wrong. Because when you try and do something so current, you know, it's got a very, like, we're really dealing with current what current young people are doing with their lives right with the kids and that can go horribly wrong but i, I thought they did, did with it brilliant dealt with it brilliantly you I know mean, i thought it kind of all rang true that stuff but james may know more than me oh you know i'm down with the kids they're all hanging out there playing games <laughs> listening to sleaford mods and you know it's extraordinary extraordinary stuff no no the game aspects of it i really mm. appreciated like the way you have them so it's a kind of that play on crack houses isn't it instead of having those junkies yeah, yeah. in rooms shooting up they're all sitting there with like they're having a LAN party playing first person shooters yeah, and stuff which brilliant. i find hilarious yeah, uh, these are my people, and uh, as a recovering World of Warcraft addict, I can really identify with See? all this stuff. Um, but yeah, it was great, and I, I love the game angle as well. And as I say, I've only watched the first two episodes, but that's only been a, a time constraint thing. I will absolutely mainline this. I cannot wait to watch the rest of it. It's, it's so extremely addictive. exciting, and, mm. and the only yeah. and you know that 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 emptiness you have. So I've watched this eight, six, I've watched six out of there. I'm already furious that I've only got two <laughs> more episodes to go, and I'm going to have to wait. Yes, you are. Take them a long time to make this series. That's the thing. They put so much into it. it took them two and a half years you know and i know i think they're still working on it pretty close to how people have been going why the fuck isn't it where is it everyone yeah. this is one of those shows where when it first aired us when the final episode when you saw the final episode the first thing you did was immediately go to the internet and yeah, 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 basically yeah. google what the fuck just happened yeah uh, and you wanted to read everything you could possibly do. you want to read every interview and you were like there must be more of this i need more of this in my life i want as much of this in my life as I can get. So uh, absolute recommendation. If you have not watched the OA season one, please do so. If you have watched it, then you will already be waiting for this. This drops on Netflix on Friday, March the 22nd, the OA season two. This week also sees the return of Billions. Season four of Billions arrives. Now, Full disclosure here. I have been meaning to watch Billions pretty much since it started, and I never got around to it. Uh, so while I have absolutely no doubt, Boyd, you jumped straight into season four with both feet, mm. I instead opted to take a different tack. Uh, so I went back <laughs> and watched the pilot episode instead. Maverick. <laughs> yeah, because I'm a Maverick. So instead of watching the new ones, I went back and watched the beginning instead. So at least I would know what I'm talking about. And genuinely, I really, really enjoyed this. So this this show, or at least as it starts, this is a story of US attorney Chuck Rhodes, this is played by Paul Giamatti, who's gunning for shifty billionaire hedge fund manager Bobby Axe, Axelrod, <laughs> played by Damien Lewis. And lest we forget, this is a show that begins, its very first episode, with a bound and gag Giamatti being urinated on by Maggie Siff, yeah. which is not something you see... Oh, a lot the pilot. of yes sorry. in the pilot yes. yeah hold on Paul remember he's reviewing the pilot he's yeah. in his own world yeah. we watched the new episode he reviews the pilot I review the I mean, pilot you know that's that's you know you just I'm have a, to accept the madness just just roll with it it's another dimension um, it is another our, dimension James is in his own dimension yes definitely. I performed the movements and went to a dimension where the show is beginning this week the OD yeah the original doofus <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you boy <laughs> Carry on. Oh, God. Yes, she she, she urinates on him. She urinates on him. uh, And I loved particularly the urination, but I really enjoyed enjoyed this episode. And honestly, I don't know why I waited so long to watch it. The two leads are absolutely magnetic. And uh, my favourite part of this, there's a dick measuring scene, not a literal one, metaphorical one, uh, between Lewis and Giamatti at the end of the pilot, which gave me shivers. Just like Lewis in particular, the venom. uh, So I I expect big things to come from this. Uh, But but that is not... not, (laughs) 
time emphasize what we're here to discuss. We don't want to know about that. We want to know what's to come in season three. What does that look like? And what does it look like, Paul? So, well, season four. Season four. Season four. So, yes. <laughs> See, I don't even know how many years it's going for. So, what we yeah, want to I've know. I've reviewed season three. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You've reviewed season Boyd's three. three. Season I've reviewed yeah. season one. And then we'll get to Boyd, who'll be doing season four. Well, the, the thing with season four is we are immediately going to be spoilering for you. Oh, the, don't worry about the, that. The, the main antagonism from from the from the premise of it, which, which is obviously Chuck versus Axe, that completely ends at the end of season three. Damn it! Yeah. So is due to uh, Chuck is no longer U.S. Attorney. Uh, essentially, it's it's the them and Wendy sat around the kitchen table saying, you know, they have a plan to overturn their new enemies who are various different people. There's there's Grigor, who's uh, John Malkovich's Russian oligarch. Ooh, exciting. Mm. Uh, there's also non-binary analyst Taylor. They have a very big role in this. So the end of season three was very exciting for a moment when you're like, oh, my God, you know, they've they've joined forces this is either the most brilliant thing or it, it's the most terrible thing because it completely destroys, you know, the original dynamic of the show. But actually, I really like it. I, 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 I like them being on the same side. You know, it's, I do not understand at all the world of hedge funding. <laughs> Every single time I sit and watch this at home, by the end of the episode... I, you know, half of the jargon and everything that they're saying I, it goes completely what out of my head. What is a hedge fund? It's nothing to do with topiary, is it? No. Boy, what is exactly? What is it? What I don't know. It's a bad. It, all I, my feeling about hedge funds is that it's, it's the bad side of capitalism. Like there's a good side, but it's the really bad side. And it's, it's people exploiting, it's success, yeah. Um, you know, companies and businesses for their own benefit, and they're kind of betting against things failing. And, and it's, we, like, it's called a hedge fund, we think, because they hedge on things. They kind of, yeah, they kind of hedge bet. On, they yeah, kind of um, bet yes. on businesses. Yeah, oh, and you know, and then it, they can't kind of can't lose if you're if you're you know. Uh, that's my. I maybe so, completely. So really, wrong. what you're saying is, I should have paid much more attention while watching The Big Short, and then I'd know exactly. What a little this bit, is about. yeah. Okay. But I think it's interesting you Go say on. that because I think the ho- this what, for me the great thing about billions is it's like a stealth drama it's yeah. on the surface it's about that world of high finance and politics and the attorney general versus this ruthless hedge fund guy but it's actually about toxic toxic masculinity that's what it's about yes and the you're whole right. absolutely your the thing the reason why episode one has the urinating scene and, and so paul geomatic's character is a sub he's a he's yeah. in a subdom relationship yeah. with his wife and it's all about him and his his sexuality and it was all and that dick Waving contest, you're right. That it's that stuff. His there's scenes with his father. There's a brilliant scene with his mm. dad in this first episode. His, his dad before, is terrifying. Who is terrifying. <laughs> and if you watch like throughout the the series, he's this. He loves talking about his past sexual antics. How he slept with three women in one day. In this episode, there's a reference to him in bathhouses and things. Yeah. And um. Taking like you know, taking <laughs> drug taking, and and so his his kind of guy works with him says, I don't want to hear about your part. You know, no one wants to hear about <laughs> this old guy. But it's his kind of upfront rampant masculinity that mm. you then see. Oh, that's why Paul Giamatti is as he is. What's that line? He says, he said, I, I would slap your face and and tell you to act like a man if I didn't think that it would turn you on. Right. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> there's and there's a scene in I think the last series where they kiss, where he kisses him on the lips. He grabs yeah, him. The dad yeah. grabs and it, so it, it pushes the boundaries as you say. One of the characters Taylor, um, Taylor played by Asia Cape Dillon is a non-binary mm. actor playing a non-binary character, the only one I think I'm aware on 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 TV apart from maybe the OA, but I think the OA sees uh, that character sees herself as a trans character. Mm. Anyway, 
it's groundbreaking in that way. And it's all kind of by stealth, though, because it's still got that mm. plot line. It's still about these incredibly rich people fighting each other, basically. But all the sex stuff that goes on, it's really about that, because that's where all, where all the tasty stuff happens. And it has very funny pop culture references all the way through. It's kind of about how people are now with, you know, trying to be big big dicked mas- macho people and what that and how that plays out in this day and age really, mm. especially if you're really rich and powerful it's great it's a really and it's, it's, but it's not like it has and soapy's not the word but you know what i mean oh, it's, like it's, it's yeah it's it's pulpy yeah that's pulpy, it that's yeah it, it's it actually pulpy. revels yeah. in its over the topness mm. yeah when Paul Giamatti's dad kisses him on the lips. That is like practically <laughs> like a twisted ver- moment from, you know, dynasty on drugs or whatever. Yeah, it is demented. You don't need to know what the F a, a stealth a head fund is. A stealth fund. A stealth fund. That's my own. Yeah, stealth fund is good. Yeah, the whole show is a stealth fund. Yeah, whole I think it's yeah. Damien Lewis's best thing he's done as well. Yeah, I think I agree. Yeah, and and Paul, who listen, Paul Giamatti just yeah. just Wait, be reveling in the in the perversity of Love Paul Giamatti. He's so good. Yeah. Uh, love Maggie Siff as well. Who, lest we forget, yeah. is a stalwart character in Sons of Anarchy, which I'm watching at the lest moment. We forget. Oh. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. That is Billions Season 4, which drops on Sky Atlantic, well, the first episode, I should say, on Wednesday, the 20th of March. 9pm. At 9pm. Uh, next up is C- Series 3, but actually Series 3. This time, not actually Series 4. This is Series 3 of Victoria. This is ITV's ongoing period serial about the early life of Queen Victoria with former Hoovian assistant Jenna Coleman. Clara. Are you impressed? I know that. Yes. Yeah. She's wearing the crown in this. This is another one that, I'll be honest, I didn't see. So, similarly, I went back and watched the first episode of. So, uh, start at the beginning... <laughs> You know, Crazy rather than start at the end. I don't think that's controversial. So I watched episode one of this where Victoria inherits the crown and, she, you know, and she's navigating court and politics, her difficult mother, her bell end stepfather, you know, all at the tender age of 18. Um, I thought it was beautifully produced with gorgeous costumes and lovely set design. No, it's great. Like, it really wallows in that 19th century setting and it's got a really, really fantastic cast as well. Um, really great performance from Coleman. I very much enjoyed Rufus Saul, as we all, I'm sure, always do as the PM, sort of navigating the 1838 equivalent of Brexit. He's not in anymore. He's not. Oh, no, damn it. Yeah, um, I will say... <laughs> From yeah. watching the first one, it does feel at times like a weird cross between a monarchy-based period drama and Mean Girls, wow. which was, a, I wasn't expecting that, yeah. but I'm down sale. with it. Yeah. I was really enjoying it. Like, Boyd, how, for you, first of all, how does this sort of measure up to the crown? Like, how, mm. like where's it on relation to that? Yeah. And more importantly, how does series three measure up full stop? I think it's from the start. I felt it was like the crown meets mean girls? Downton Abbey. <laughs> okay. And I know you're a Downton fan. Mm. But what love it does, a bit of Downton. You love a bit of Downton. What this does, I think it's so Downton was very soapy, wasn't yeah. it? Oh, and, very. But it yeah. had the upstairs downstairs thing yeah. going. And this, but is, this has that too, right? Exactly. Mm. So this has the the upstairs downstairs. And I I remember being slightly cynical about that. I think when it's, I thought, oh, you know, maybe they're doing that because of Downton and people. If you're going to do yeah. a posh royalty job, you have to have the normal people. <laughs> Got to have the servants well. selling but their actually, gloves. But I've been one round, and I now think Daisy Goodwin created, and she's very mm. very smart. And I think what she what she's done is. It's like well, you can't make a show about this world without showing everyday people and their lives. And, and it's getting more and more like that. So now in, in series, in this series, you've got people, working class people, you know, getting their movement together. This is the, the chartists. Yeah. You know, so and, and that whole element of it, that storyline is really interesting and really mm. fascinating. And you've got the French Revolution just happened. So you've got that. You know, how are they going to be affected by that? So you, she's she kind of with a very light touch. She does address the social 
political elements of the time in the same way the crown does brilliantly in you know and so i think it is i think it's not quite as amazingly um what's the word um i mean it's not you know it's a smaller budget than the crown but it does look great as you say it is very well filmed very well shot mm-hmm. very well produced brilliantly cast and acted so it's kind of almost there in the crown and i'm not even the crown's biggest fan by the way either but oh. um i think this is a real it's doing as good a job as you could possibly do mm-hmm. of, of creating a drama about this iconic figure is what i would say and I really love Tom Hughes, by the way, as Bertie, her husband. He's little. He's kind of. He's got a soft spoken German accent. He's like that. Talks like that. And he's been doing it since the first, right at the beginning. And he's a lovely guy. And he's the one who's trying to put, show Victoria that their poor people are poor. She's got to think about them. He's great. Can I just say you're going to get in a world of shit for that? Um, <laughs> That's how he talks. No, to or, make from or, Tom Hughes. I, I did German A levels. Or you're going to do really well because I have been castigated on social media for my German accent that I used on this when I talk about Fremdscham or especially when I talk about Dust Boot. Uh, the- Dust Boot is real Germans. Tom Hughes is not German. I'm just saying Tom Hughes is funny, whispery German. That it's is funny. Like, it is, it is very it's whispery. whispery. Yeah. Okay, okay, good. I feel sorry for Tom Hughes because in the first season, it was kind of all about Lord M, uh, Rufus Sewell's character, yeah. who, who I think you know, really was as, as much the reason that it became the, the big hit it was. And when he departed in season two, I think it did lose something for a while. I think this season, she's got, um, there's a variety of new cast. She's got a sister turns up, Sister Theodora, who's played by Kate Fleetwood. Uh, there's also Lawrence Fox as Pam. That's Lord Palmerston, uh, Foreign Secretary. Uh, and John Sessions as, as the PM. I think Lawrence Fox is fantastic, by the way. Yeah. Because you're right, we didn't maybe miss um, Thingy. Uh, Lord M. Rufus. Rufus, Rufus. Rufus. But, but Fox totally sinks his teeth into it. He's a ladies' man. He's like he's cocky, isn't he? He's, oh, he's got a cane. He twiddles. Yeah, and he smokes big cigars. Yeah, he's 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 really funny and really really engaging. Yeah, he's great. Well, that is series three of Victoria, which begins on ITV on Sunday, March twenty fourth at nine p.m. Lastly, this week is. Pose, the latest show from American Horror Stories' Ryan Murphy. Uh, this one actually aired on FX in the States last mm. summer, but it's taken a long time to come to Blighty. Uh, but it has arrived this week. Uh, this is set in 80s New York. It's kind of a... This is this is a, a hell of a show to try and sum up in a <laughs> sentence, isn't it? It's like a celebration of fashion, literary types, ball culture, diversity, and sexuality. Is that... Absolutely. Could cover it slightly. Yeah. I thought they would say ball cultures if you knew what that was before you saw <laughs> no, this program. No, I didn't, and I still honestly don't. Like, I don't even know what voguing is, so I'm really not the person to ask. Are the sleeved mods in this? Because they're really. not. But, if, but, you, but voguing <laughs> is the way in, though. I was going to say yeah. that. So the, the way into what the hell is ball culture? I didn't really know. I didn't really know what it was either. But mm. it's it, so a voguing came from that. So mm. Madonna, Madonna's Vogue, the whole and the video and everything. Which I think it was directed by David Fincher, um, which was about it, three years later, wasn't it? it was like yeah, ninety. I think so. It yeah. was kind of like taking the so these balls were um, mainly LGBT people mm. gathering in like they would do it in like ballroom spaces in hotels. They weren't officially supposed to be there. They would sneak in and take over these spaces and, and celebrate their diversity, celebrate their sexuality and their and their whatever you want to call it, and by voguing by and by kind of walking and having these lavish, incredible costumes. 
to music, and it's it's, it's, a, it's a kind of like showing peacocky, showing offy thing, mm. but but as a celebration, and they're divided into houses, which I never knew yeah. about this. So, uh, a person would be head of a house, and they'd gather young people who wanted to get involved in this world. You know, who would one of the characters has been thrown out of um, like the gay guy's been thrown out of his ha- family's house, which is really really horrible and nasty done. And Amen. then he's taken, so he's taken under the wing of one of the people in charge of one of these houses. So they're like. On a, like families, families brought together who haven't got families because of their sexuality and gender, whatever. And it's a really interesting thing, and that the, the, this whole drama series is explaining to us in a very, very, I think, entertaining and engaging way. I think it, it is fascinating because to see a thing, a world that you kind of heard a little bit about on the edge mm. of your culture, but mainly through the fact that Madonna did a song called Vogue. Yeah. And this kind of expands on that, doesn't it? And deepens it. And it shows you this whole world, which is... I mean, Ryan Murphy knows what he's doing, doesn't he? So He really does. But this has got a really interesting structure, didn't you think? Like, because it starts off by kind of being almost like a very narrative light celebration of mm. that, this world. Yeah. Of all those things you mentioned in your mm. intro that I've now witted on about <laughs> and trying to explain what the, what the hell they are. And then the kind of the storyline elements almost don't almost get arrive until halfway through this first episode. I felt anyway, and then suddenly you're really riveted by it. Yeah, and apparently, I think as it goes on, we get we, it sort of digs down much deeper into the families. That that really is yes. more even than actually the ball culture. It, it, it it's about the the, the, well, the different houses, aren't there? There's the house of abundance, who, who are the first house that we meet, and then Blanca, who is in House of Abundance, gets uh, d- decides to go off and do a different house, which is called the House of Evangelista after mm. Linda Evangelista. Uh, but there's also a whole, this whole Donald Trump element. Yeah, yes. Which I, but I thought that was great. So there's whole James Van Der Beek plays a person who works for Donald Trump in Trump Tower, <laughs> and we meet him, and he's obviously this, and I think he's like the kind of cipher for Trump, really, because he's yeah. this kind of like, Twat. I like James Van Der Beek. You don't oh, see yeah, nothing of him these days. No, absolutely. He's really good, yeah. Um, and Evan Peters plays his employee who has a relationship with one of these people who we meet in the... Which in the um, Angel, uh, isn't it? Angel. Who... Yeah, India Moore, right? Trans, a trans uh, person, and we, and that's, and that, and that, that was the moment where I really got engaged with this, with the narrative. Yeah, when Evan Peters arrives, who's obviously a, a Ryan Murphy regular from American Horror Story, mm. etc., who's always brilliant, and that storyline totally gripped me. Um, as well, so I think by the end of this kind of almost feature length first episode, I think yeah, six seventy five minutes. I thought it was it's kind of it's a right it's a he does a unique thing as a yeah. if he takes these worlds yeah and these and just infuses them with so much kind of passion and drama. I think it's really it's incredible. Yeah, worth watching not just because it's great uh, a great show, but because it gives you a window into something that you almost yeah. certainly didn't know existed. Absolutely, and it's it's compelling on both levels. That is Pose, which airs Boyd. When does it air? Because I don't know. It airs on BBC Two. On Wednesday, the thingy of thingy. <laughs> Wednesday, the thingy of thingy. Wednesday, on BBC the twentieth of March. Twentieth of March. Yes, twentieth of March. Uh, and of course, if you're in America, you will have seen this already. Now we are running horribly late this week. <laughs> However, before we sign off, as is customary, we are going to do the Banshee segment. Now, Paul, you'll know this because you do yes. the podcast. But this is our celebration of great shows of years gone by, like. The aforementioned Banshee. Do you ever watch Banshee? I uh, know, but I'm tempted now that y- you've gone on about it yeah, so much. Yeah, yeah. How many <laughs> times do I have to refer to this as the Banshee segment before you go back and watch Banshee? I'm, I'm holding... 30, I'm waiting for the 30th podcast. Uh, have you watched The Expanse yet? No. Honestly, and you call yourself a fan. I'm frankly put out. How about The Shield? 
I want to see the shield from the beginning. All yeah. right, that's intent, but it's that, not there accomplishment. Is a, well, no, well, it's massive. There's, there's, uh, um, yes. Look, you know, you go home. I can't just nip. Go home, put on a Sleaford Mod CD, get your DVD of the shield, queue up the Expanse. You know, you've got homework. You've got stuff to do. Anyway, I digress. So, Banshee, I'm going to go first this time. For my part, I've chosen a comedy Whoa. just to show that I'm an inscrutable wow. enigma. Incredible. You ready? Yeah. Specifically, I've chosen Fresh Meat. Oh. oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very good. This is uh, Sam Bain and Jesse Armstrong's uni sitcom uh, about a shared house of mismatched students and their undergraduate antics. Among them, the in-between is Joe Thomas, who plays Kingsley. Uh, Greg McHugh is in this as Howard and Zoe Ashton, who I thought was the highlight mm. of this show as VOD. Um, it also marked the acting debut of Jack Whitehall. Do you know that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's his acting debut. Um, who... And hot fact for well, you. Well, I think the dramatic acting debut. Yeah, yeah he was in Bad, Bad Education, wasn't he? Out was Bad Education comedy. before this? I think so. Was but it? Carry on. Was it? Because um, I've seen Bad Education. I did enjoy it, but oh, I I'll didn't think that. it was prior to Fresh Meat. <laughs> okay, I'll check. Yeah, you, 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 you look at that while I'm check. going on about this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's a hot fact. I saw Jack Whitehall do stand-up last week. After we did the Amazing. podcast, yeah. Oh, right. So I went to the the. Was top- he the surprise comedian? He was the surprise oh, comedian. Right. I went to the Top Secret Comedy Club in Covent Garden, and he came on to road test some of his new jokes. Do you know what? Right. Right. Fresh Meat, 2011. Ha. Bad Education, 2012. That's what yeah. I'm saying. I apologise. That's what I'm saying. This was his acting debut, and then Bad Education, which was also really funny. Yeah, uh, the film less so. Uh, but yeah, so I went to to the comedy thing, and this guy came on, and it was very sort of like slightly old school, almost like 70s stand up, like really, oh, God, right. really broad. I didn't like it at all, and I was just like. This is terrible. Like I, this, I'm not laughing at all. This is a disaster. And then they said it was Jack Whitehall, and he <laughs> came on and he did a 40 minute set, and I pissed myself all the way through, like proper gut laughing, absolutely laughing my ass off. This is me as well. Proper so, gut laughing, yeah, unbelievable. Genuine, it was great material. Like he You're was really, really good. Out. I really enjoyed myself, and I looked like a person who had a sense of humour, which is you know what I aspire to. So that was good. But I'm again, I'm digressing. <laughs> so, so. Fresh Meat. So this is a comedy I actually enjoy. Um, I think, if I recall, I got into Fresh Meat because of Joe Thomas, because of the Inbetweeners link. Mm. But actually, if I'm honest with you, I prefer Fresh Meat to the Inbetweeners. I love the characters, great mix of personalities. And I thought it really captured that, um, you know, it's like that melting pot of like pretension and artifice, almost all uni friendships kind of sort of come out of. This is a show that made me laugh. I think the gag hit-miss ratio is very, very high. It ran for four series from 2011 to 2016, and I do not mind saying the finale of this very hit me in the feels. Wow. It's, uh, I thought the, oh. the finale was a real, like, oh, this is you know, it's quite profound. It's like, you know, it's, it's good. Good stuff. So that is uh, Fresh Meat. If you fancy fun character-led comedy, then I do recommend it, uh, especially if you like students at a Manchester university. I was just going to say, Dead Pixels, which is coming soon on E4, oh, is from the team that did Fresh Meat. It's from Sam Bain and Jesse Armstrong, who yep. created it, their yep. production company. And one of the writers, John Brown, who wrote a lot of Fresh Meat, has written this. So did you know a- that Sam Bain and Jesse Armstrong, when they wrote the first episode of Fresh Meat, they did it while watching a VHS of The Young Ones? So no, I, I think didn't. some of that, That's some of that fact. DNA Great filtered fact. into it. Uh, you can pick up all four series of Fresh Meat for twelve pounds on second-hand DVD. Amazing. So you know, if you want to go and do that, incredible. Who wants to go next? Paul. Paul what's your then. banshee? It is the cops. The Ooh. cops. I don't know what that is. Which was, I think, I'm right in saying the BBC's first ever really gritty police yeah. procedural. BBC Two. A uh, BBC yes. Two World Productions. Who, of course, since the Lime Juice Bodyguard, saved me all of those. This was. Um, they'd done one cop show before called Between the Lines, but this was a whole different thing. It. it 
the opening scene it's, it's uh, Katie Kavanagh is a uh, young woman in the nightclub doing drugs in the toilet. You follow her. Suddenly, she suddenly looks, looks at a watch, rushes out and run, runs to work. It's like 5.30 in the morning and you see her go into the police station and she is like a, she's a police officer. <laughs> Which I think actually, no offence, did sort of nick that idea oh, yeah, a little bit did, for yeah, their opening yeah. one. But, yeah. but it ran for three seasons. It got the BAFTA for best drama two years in a row. Mm, it was brilliant. Do you know uh, what? It disappeared as well? and absolutely disappeared. Yeah. It was only ever repeated once. You know what? It was. It's a little bit like a British version of the Shield. It's the British it, it Shield. Is. It, it is. is. Yeah. It's, it's the, the British Shield. shield. Yeah. And when, when I think I might have even mentioned it when the first when you first talked about the Shield. I think because it is at, at one of, one of the great British cop shows. Yeah. Annoyingly, I mean, I was I was trying to find it. Couldn't even find DVDs of it. It's on YouTube. The first season. Oh. As like one six and a half hour clip. Okay. Bizarrely. All right. Well, maybe I'll track that down. I think it was once repeated on UK TV. And since then, has never been again. Wow. You know, and, That's it, a good banshee. Maddening. Great yeah. banshee. The cops then, the British Shield. Yeah. Sold. Yeah. Boy, top that. Well, in my um, endless search for slightly too obscure comedies that shouldn't be as obscure as they are, Mr. Sloan. Do you remember Mr. Sloan? Yes. This is from 2014. Listen to the, the talent that went into this series. Robert Whitey created it and wrote it, Kirby Enthusiasm fame. He wrote and directed a lot of Kirby Enthusiasm. He's pretty much best mates with Jerry Seinfeld and um, Larry David. He created it. It stars Nick Frost and Olivia Coleman and Ophelia Lovibond and Peter Serafinowicz. Oh, my God. Wow. It's set in the 60s. And, P- and Nick Frost plays this kind of depressive guy who's, who's pretty much suicidal. And um, his wife, played by Olivia Coleman, has left him. So a lot of it is like him, him lamenting why has she left him because he's kind of, uh, kind of boring and stultifying. And it's all about being boring and stultifying in a kind of suburban setting that Robert Whitey, this American, came in and decided he's fascinated by he's a kind of Anglophile anyway of kind of British, you know, sitcoms of that of that kind. So it's almost like a revival mm. of a kind of quite downbeat. And I think this is why it was only one series. It wasn't a hit. It was on Sky Atlantic, I think. Not that many people watched it because it was for a comedy, downbeat and quite and dealing with quite depressing topics. But it was really good, and Nick Frost was fantastic. And when is he ever not fantastic? Mm. Olivia Coleman was, of course, brilliant, and it's a really interesting thing. And it's it's still on Sky box sets and now TV box sets, I think, and probably wow. on DVD for about two pounds. Mr. Sloan, Mr. Sloan, Mr. Sloan. Well, Can I just say as well that mm. I was wrong about when poses on. It's on Thursday. Oh, oh. what are you yeah. like? So I can, I, yeah, it's on Thursday, the twenty-first of March. And we're saying that this started before Bad Education or after it? <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay. <laughs> and there is a season two, isn't there? Coming, I think, in the pose. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, indeed, there is. Yeah. Right. And on that note, uh, that is it for another episode of the Pilot TV podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then do pop over to iTunes and show your appreciation in the traditional manner. That being the bestowal of five stars and a glowing review. If, on the other hand, you did not enjoy the episode, then head over to Twitter and address your grievances to at Terry underscore White, outlining <laughs> all the reasons why you didn't like it uh, and possibly mentioning how you missed her dulcet northern tones this week. Uh, Terry will be back next week and we will be looking at Amazon TV's adaptation of 2011 Joe Wright film, Anna. And I believe, I'm right in saying Boyd, the return of The Good Fight. Oh, yes. That I'm very excited yeah, about. Very excited. Very excited. Correct. <laughs> in the meantime, big thank you to Paul Simper for lending his wisdom pleasure, and you. expertise in all things Sleaford mod. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Paul. Thanks for that. It's good. It's good to have your music knowledge and expertise Any, on the podcast. Anytime. Until next time, pilot out. <laughs>